Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. Today, I'd like for us to pick up in our series on the beauty of grace, and I want us to talk about Lesson 58, The Consequences of Grace, today. So I want us to consider the consequences of grace after discovering how we should count the cost, determine that Jesus is worth it, and then crave him to the point that he becomes our one and only praise in life. What consequences result from such a choice? Several are mentioned in scripture, so I want us to consider a few of these in today's message. And I want us to begin by reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 30. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions, and in the age to come, 
eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first, through verse 31. So in the context here, Jesus is teaching them about who can and who will enter the kingdom of God, and is it worth it? So he first gives them the little child example, sincere faith, belief, and innocent trust. Then he gives them the rich young ruler's example, amplifying the deceitfulness of riches that he also spoke about in a parable we call the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. So for those who do abandon all other loves and pursuits for Jesus Christ, what will come to them? He's contrasted here the little child, example, the rich young ruler, He's talking about the cost of discipleship, those who follow him innocently, those who trust him, those who will take up their cross and follow him. So for those who do, those who will abandon riches, those who will abandon the things of the world, those who will abandon all other loves in order to pursue him, what will come to them? Peter raises that question in essence. He says, Lord, you're talking about the rich man can't enter. You know, they, they love and trust in their riches. What about all of us that have abandoned everything? We left our nets. We left our form of income. We left everything that we knew and loved behind and abandoned all other loves and pursuits for you. What will come to us? What's going to come? What are the consequences for us? And so Jesus answers in verse 29 and 30. I want us to take a little bit closer look at verse 29 and 30. First of all, understand Jesus is addressing the motive at first. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. So the very first thing he addresses is the motive. Have you done it really for me? And for all who have, for all who will abandon all other loves and all other pursuits to come to Jesus and to count the cost, those who counted the cost and those who craved him and said the cost is worth it. He is my praise. He is what I'm after He is the one love that I want in my life, and I'm not going to leave my first love, but I'm going to pursue him. For those who have done it for his sake and for the gospels, this is the reward. Then he answers Peter's question. He said they will receive 100-fold now in this time and in the age to come. Now let's talk about what he says here. He says, now and in the age to come, now in this time, we'll have provision. We'll have what we need. We'll have the houses, the lands, the family. We'll have the blessings of the Lord. But notice this, it says, with persecutions. Here in this life, with those things that would even persecute us or pursue us in order to harm us in this life. See, Jesus is not telling us it's going to be an easy, peachy king life. He's telling us, yes, there's going to be persecutions. Yes, there's going to be difficulties. 
Yes, there's going to be things that will press on you or that will pursue you, that will flee to try to harm you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter picks up on this as well in his writings, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He goes on in verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Then Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then he goes on and he speaks about the importance of the word of the living God. So Paul also doesn't sugarcoat the cost that we choose and what that is going to entail in this life. In this life, there will be persecutions, there will be troubles, there will be hardships. First Thessalonians, Paul writes this in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Verse 4. For in fact, We told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So Paul, here again, is not sugarcoating the fact that in this life, the blessings of the Lord for serving him, yes, they will come. God has promised them. But there will be tribulation. There will be troubles. Now, in the end time scenario, there is a what we call the tribulation or the great tribulation. Jesus called it that. And so we are not talking about that time period. That's a time that's called the day of the Lord. It's a time of his own vengeance, his own wrath. And there's other things that we need to understand about that. But what Paul and Peter and Jesus are talking about here are the sufferings that we must have in life, the sufferings that we will go through in life. Jesus went through them. They hated him. And if we are serving him and we are doing these things for his name's sake, he has promised to bring us the blessings and provisions we need in this life. But he says they will come with persecutions. There's going to be trouble in this life because we live in a fallen world and we have an adversary who hates us. And we must understand that. He hates us mainly because he hates The God that we serve, he hates the name of the one that we serve and we love, and that's Jesus. So God has promised us 
that there are good consequences, but please understand that they do come in this fallen world, in this age, in this life, with tribulations and persecutions and hardships. But then he says, there will not only be provisions and blessings in this life, even though they come with those struggles, there will be in the life to come, in the life beyond this life that we're all headed to in, in eternity, there will be eternal life. All that that means, hallelujah, knowing Jesus, having bliss with him, it's that Revelation chapter 21 through 22 environment with God forever in heaven, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no crying, no tears, but peace, joy, and bliss in every way, in every pure way. Praise be to God. All of those sufferings, all of those tribulations, all of those persecutions that came with the blessings and faithful provisions of God in this life, every one of them gone in eternity, every one of them gone in the life to come. And in the life to come, it'll only be eternal life, where we will live with God, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no crying, no tears, but only peace and joy when we dwell with our God. Praise be to God. So here we can answer this question very clearly. The consequences of grace, will they all be rosy? Oh, no. We shouldn't even expect that. We live among sinful man, other people that will resist the truth of God's word and will want to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so they may hate us and they may persecute us. Jesus didn't hide that from us. We also live in a world where we still battle our own sinful flesh. Our flesh tries to fight against the things of God in our life and the godly nature that he has imparted to us. Our flesh tries to resist the conviction and leading of the Holy Spirit many times. And also we must remember we have an actual enemy, an adversary, the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in this world. So we're told here, oh yes, you have an enemy, you have an adversary. You have one that because of Jesus Christ and your relationship with him and your devotion to him and your love and pursuit for him, that he is your craving, he is your craze, he is the one you love and adore and serve, he is the one you've chosen, is worthy of the cost to be his disciple. You have an enemy, and he has, in a sense, kind of put a bullseye on your back. You are his target. And he seeks to devour you. Now, beloved friend, I want to leave you with this as well, though. We are to resist him. We have the right, we have the authority, and we have the ability to oppose and stand against him according to the scriptures. 
As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God. And he says that we battle against the enemy and the powers of darkness. But he says, having done all to stand, because we have the ability to withstand and oppose him by resisting him. But he is seeking to devour us. He's seeking to hinder us. And our response is to stand against him, to resist him. Now, there's a difference, I believe, in resisting him and rebuking him. In Jude, the small book of Jude, it only has the one chapter. But in there, we read the account of where the devil was trying to get the body of Moses. And the devil was fighting with, opposing, resisting Michael, the archangel of God. And Michael, the archangel of God, who stands in God's presence regularly, continually, said to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. That word rebuke is very strong. It means to charge sharply, to adjudge or to assess penalty, to censure sharply, reprimand, or enjoin sharply. You see, beloved friend, God is the one who has the authority and the right to rebuke the devil. Even Michael attested to that. But we are told in James chapter 4, verse 7, and here in 1 Peter 5, verse 9, that we can resist the devil, stand against him, oppose him, set oneself against him, withstanding, stand in opposition to him. We are to resist the devil. What comes from him? Against his hindrances, against his lies. We simply stand in faith and withstand resisting him in the armor of God. But Jesus makes it clear here in this as well, that one thing that we don't resist necessarily is persecution or government laws of the land that do not violate God's word, that do not violate God's higher laws. We are to submit to that. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Lord, which included his own persecution and execution. And the apostles, many of them, all, all but John that we know of, were executed, persecuted and martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that there is a cost. Oh, yes, and sometimes the cost may be great, but the consequences are worth the cost. When we crave Jesus and we are his disciples, Let's talk about some of those consequences that he gives us. First of all, salvation, being born again of the spirit of the living God. And I want to remind us, this is the greatest treasure that we have. The Lord has saved us. He has rescued us. Praise be to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says this, For by grace... Oh, that beautiful grace that we have been studying now for, for lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should.
should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved, and in our salvation he also gifted us with good works, good talents, and things that we're to use to serve him. We have eternal life with him, delivered from death and delivered from the wrath of God. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. All wrapped up in salvation. The consequences are sufferings as well, hardships. We don't like to hear that at all. And I believe the Lord realized that in our sinful human bodies, we would not want to hear that. But notice what the Lord has said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here we go with the motive again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here, suffering is not hidden from us. We have to realize it does become part of the consequences because the world hates the Lord that we love and the Lord that we serve. But notice this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus also is speaking here, and he says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot, cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we need to realize that even when persecution comes, we don't have to fear those because all they can do is kill us in this life, and then we're immediately in the presence of the Lord. If we're born again of the Spirit of the living God, then we will be immediately with the Lord. Paul tells us that in a later passage in the New Testament. Consequences also include security. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit and reserved for heaven. We are marked and known by the Lord. Let's read a few scriptures on this point. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows us who are his, and we are named with the name of Jesus, departing from iniquity, leaving all of that past behind, and choosing rather to pursue him, to live for him, and to be holy as he has called us to be. The Lord knows those who are his. Also, we have the security in this that Peter writes about. Second Peter chapter 2, 9 says this, Chapter 2, verse 9 says this, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 
So God knows how to deliver us when we need it. Hallelujah. There's security. That's one of the consequences of grace. Safety, deliverance, and freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage. John chapter 8, verse 36 says this, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. There's safety, there's freedom and deliverance in Jesus Christ. Another consequence of grace. There's service that's a consequence of grace. Having those good works that Paul wrote about to the Ephesian church that God has crafted for us to do. His workmanship in us and through us. And this service will be pleasing him by offering ourselves to him. And it will be fulfilling work and service for the Lord. How fulfilling is it when we serve the Lord and we know that we have served him and we have pleased him. It brings great satisfaction and fulfillment to us. So that is a consequence of grace. There's sobriety, the seriousness of following Jesus and choosing to live a lifestyle that honors him because we want to bring him glory. So this is a consequence of grace as well. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 13. I want to read verse 11 through 14. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So there's a sobriety that comes as a consequence of grace, realizing that this is not a time to play around. But we've got to honor Jesus. We've got to follow him because guess what? We're closer going home than we've ever been before, beloved friend. And there's a solace of grace that is a consequence. Solace also comes. That comfort and that peace and that joy. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the agent of grace. So there is a solace, a beautiful peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God. Also, we have the eternal blessings and consequences that are ahead. Jesus talked about, remember, in Mark when we started, how we have the blessings in this life with persecutions, yes, but in the life to come, eternal life. Do you know, beloved friend, that waiting for us, there are things reserved for us in heaven. Peter tells us that in his epistle. There's an inheritance reserved in heaven for us 
We are going home. We need to remember that in these days that we are not from here, we don't belong here, and we're not staying here. We are passing through. We are going home. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Beloved friend, Jesus has been working on our homes in heaven, reserved for us for the last 2,000 years. And we've got a home waiting for us in heaven. This place is not our home. We have eternal life waiting for us. We have that relationship and dwelling with God that Revelation 21 and 22 talks about. No more sorrow, no pain, no crying, no tears, no death but rather we will dwell with God forever and have true eternal joy and pleasures, the right kind of pleasures forevermore. The consequences of grace are far beyond our wildest imagination, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Paul quotes this verse from Isaiah 64 here about how nobody has even imagined what is ahead for us, what God has planned for us. Hallelujah. In Isaiah 64 and then again in Isaiah 65, verse 16 through 19. But Paul understands here by the Spirit of the living God that God has revealed them to us partially even. We see through a glass darkly. He writes in another place. But God wants us to know and therefore has begun to reveal to us that these consequences are beautiful things, beautiful things, so that we can know truly the free things that God has given to us, how beautiful and how precious and lasting and enduring they are. Oh yes, the consequences of grace are far worth the sacrifice and the cost of discipleship because they truly are out of this world and waiting for us reserved in heaven for that coming day. 
I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages and series brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries and that you can join us for the remaining episodes of the Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.